All right, well, this morning is the very last of the Tough Topics series. We started this series a while ago. We paused it for Lent, and then I resumed it. Uh, I have really enjoyed the whole series. What I've especially enjoyed is not, not just the sermons, which have been fun to write and which I love to preach, but I've really enjoyed the conversations that I've been able to have with others regarding the questions that they've written in that has been a real blessing for me. Uh, I just want to recognize that I did not get to every single question. I got so many more questions than I expected. I tried to get to as many as I could. There's a few people that wrote questions related to the end times, um, which are great questions and which I felt like I don't know if I can do it justice if I just try to pack all that into one sermon. So maybe down the road I'll have a chance to do a little series on eschatology and end time stuff. I know those issues are important. I know based on the questions I got that a number of people are, are wondering about those things. So maybe I can get to that later. And my apologies to those of you whose questions I did not get to. But thank you for all the questions that got sent in. This final one is actually the first request that I got when I asked for a request months ago. I, uh, the, on the very first day that I asked for a request, someone came up to me and said, I, please preach on Jeremiah 20, which I thought, I, I thought that felt like a little bit of a weird request. I don't know about you. I don't, off the top of my head, know what Jeremiah 20 was. I had to look it up. Uh, I did not know why this person asked me to preach on that chapter, but I said, of course, I, I will. And now I've had months to, to think about it, and, uh, and I think I'm ready. So Jeremiah 20, I have specifically chosen to preach on Jeremiah 20 on Installation Sunday. That's not a coincidence. That is purposeful because the lessons of Jeremiah 20 relate specifically to leadership. Uh, but... Just to be clear, it also has lessons for all of us, for all Christians, not just those who are in office or holding formal positions of leadership. Uh, we're all expected to exercise leadership in various capacities, and so it's for all of us. In Jeremiah 20, verses 1 to 6 give us the narrative, they give us the story, the historical incident in the life of Jeremiah, something that happened to him. Uh, and then in verses 7 to 18, we get Jeremiah's response to his circumstances. So we have the circumstances, and then we have Jeremiah's response. And we'll take them both uh, in turn. So we'll, I'll just start by reading verses 1 to 6, and we'll talk about the incident. But before I even do that, we need to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Holy Father, this book is your word. We believe that, and we're thankful for it. It's true, and it's good, uh, and it's useful. That's, that's what you tell us. You're, you're by, you're, the Holy Scriptures are useful uh, for rebuking, for exhorting, for training in righteousness. And so we pray that you would use, use these words uh, in our life. Help us to hear them, believe them, understand them, and apply them to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. All right, Jeremiah. If you hit Psalms, go right. We're looking for the prophet Jeremiah. He shouldn't be too hard to find. Jeremiah is the absolute longest book in the whole Bible uh, by word count, not by chapters. There's more chapters in the book of Psalms, but by word count, Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible. So Jeremiah 20, and 
And I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. When the priest Pashur, son of Emer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day, when Pashur released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord's name for you is not Pashur, but terror on every side. For this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. I will give all of Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon or put them to the sword. And I will deliver all the wealth of this city into the hands of their enemies, all its products, all its valuables, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah. And they will take it away as plunder and carry it off to Babylon. And you, Peshur, and all who live in your house will go into exile to Babylon. There you will die and be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. And this is the word of the Lord. This is a story of false accusation. It's a story of unlawful imprisonment. It's a story of torture. And this is a story of suffering, all of which are bad things. And yet, it is so often in the furnace of suffering that God forges us into the people that he wants us to be. I'm going to read a, I'll read a quote for you from the, the author, the journalist, Malcolm Muggeridge. It's a quote about suffering. It's one that it, you, you hear it not that infrequently. I'm, I'm sure some people here will be familiar with it, but it's a very insightful reflection on the role of suffering in the Christian life. I'm reading it from this book called Run with the Horses. Um, if you're looking for a good short overview of the prophet Jeremiah's life and the book he wrote, I think you could do no better than this book by Eugene Peterson called Run with the Horses. But here's the quote. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. In other words, if it ever were to be possible to eliminate affliction from our earthly existence by means of some drug or, or, or something, the result would not be to make life delectable, but it would make it too banal and trivial to be endurable. This, of course, is what the cross signifies. And it is the cross, more than anything else, that has called me inexorably to Christ. I think that that quote is both true and profound. Suffering isn't good. Suffering isn't the goal of the Christian life, and it's not a good thing. But God uses suffering. And according to Malcolm Muggeridge, he, he wouldn't choose to be without it. But in fact, he thanks God because it's through the suffering that he's been formed and shaped into the person that God has called him to be. It's through the suffering that he has grown and matured over his 75 years. I want you to just take that quote, stick it in the back of your mind, 
And we'll come back to it at the end of the sermon. Well, Eugene Peterson, as he talks about chapter 20 of the book of Jeremiah in this book, um, he, he points out that, that uh, different people view the role of religion in their lives differently. That seems obvious, but it's worth saying. Eugene Peterson was a pastor for over 50 years during his life, and this is how he expresses that, his experience. He says, some people come to church looking for a way to make their life better and looking for a way to feel good about themselves. Other people come to church because they acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ and they have cried to him for salvation and they desire to worship him and to obey him. The first group sees church as the pathway to a successful and happy life. The second group recognizes that following Christ means making sacrifices and leaving behind your own autonomy in order to plunge into the uncertain but joyful life in which God is in control. For the second group, they are willing to accept and to endure anything, mockery, pain, self-denial, sacrifice, in order to experience the joyful life of worship and obedience to Jesus Christ. The first group wants what they want. The second group wants what God wants. Jeremiah, okay, I'm done quoting now, this is me. Jeremiah was in the second group. Jeremiah wanted not what he wanted, but what God wanted. Now, no doubt, we all want what we want, and Jeremiah was a human, and he did too. But more important than his own values and his own desires, Jeremiah wanted what God wants. Now, Jeremiah obviously lived before the time that Jesus walked the earth. He didn't know about Jesus of Nazareth yet. But Jeremiah's unwavering allegiance was to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His God and our God. Jeremiah was in that second group. Peshur was in the first group. Right? Peshur, remember him in the story? He was the chief overseer of the temple. Very important man, a man of respect, a man of prominence. Peshur, we know this because it says it, Peshur was not a truth teller. He was a people pleaser. And Jeremiah was rocking the boat. Listen, at the time, if you can picture Israel at the time of Jeremiah's ministry, it was not a good situation. Not a healthy situation. Right? There, was, there was crime and injustice was rampant. The gap between rich and poor within Israel was widening. And the rich, the people that were doing just fine economically, just didn't seem to care about the plight of the poor. In fact, they couldn't be bothered with the problems of the poor. Spiritually, the people of Israel at this time still knew how to put on a good show. Right? They still flocked to the temple on the Sabbath. Big crowds, well-dressed people, come to listen to the preacher, like Pashur, who said what they wanted to hear who celebrated Israel's glorious past, who focused on the promises of God, and who conveniently ignored the fact that the old pagan fertility rites were still being practiced in secret in out-of-the-way altars in the countryside. They, they didn't ever seem to get around to that in their sermons. Just focused on the things that people wanted to hear. 
And then a truth teller like Jeremiah comes along and he says, listen, I'm not going to just say things that the people want me to say. I'm not just going to scratch the itching ears of the people who are gathered because all is not well here. And if I don't say that, who will? So I'm going to proclaim God's truth. And he did so. He preached things like we find in Jeremiah 17. And in fact, you could, you could throw a dart at Jeremiah and you'd hit a passage like this. It's all over Jeremiah. He says this, Jeremiah 17. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool. It is inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. <laughs> That's bold preaching. <laughs> Even their children remember their altars and the Asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills, right? Their secret altars where they're worshiping to other gods when it's not the Lord's day. My mountain in the land of your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder. This is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. Together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land that you do not know for you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. That's what Jeremiah preached to the people of God. Do you think they liked hearing it? Not when there is an alternative voice, like Peshur, saying exactly what people want to hear. And so Peshur heard what Jeremiah was preaching, and he came to him and he said, What are you, nuts? You're never going to build a big congregation with a message like that. You're never going to see full offering plates with a message like that. Don't you know you're not supposed to make people feel bad? To which Jeremiah would have responded to that. You know what? You're probably right. But guess what? That's not my goal. I have a charge from the Lord to preach a message not of peace, but of warning. And so here are the specific words that Jeremiah preached that got him in such hot water. This is from Jeremiah 19, right before what we read. It says, Jeremiah then returned from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's temple, and he said to all the people, all the people are gathered. Jeremiah, which what, with what must have been a big, booming voice, said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, listen. I am going to bring on this city and the villages around it every disaster that I pronounced against them because they were stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. That's the message. Now listen, there are times when the truth gets a fair hearing and there are times when it does not. Think of the ministry of Jesus, right? Jesus one day had a congregation of 5,000 people listening to every word he said. The next day, he had a congregation of four women and two bored soldiers. And yet, the message was the same both days, regardless of the crowd. Our obligation, our charge from the Lord as followers of Christ is to speak the truth and to live by the truth and not worry so much about the consequences. And Peshur responded to that message and said, All right, you want to play hardball? Guess who has the authority here? Guess who has the power here? Me, not you. So into the stocks you go, but not before I've given you a thorough beating first. And the stocks, just in case you're wondering what to picture here, they're not the passive kind, right? Where you stick your head in and your hands in and you just sit there, which doesn't seem really that bad. This wasn't that. 
Pistox, uh, the, the word there, the verb for the word stocks, is, it means twisting. And it was more really like being put on the rack and having your body twisted into painful contortions uh, rather than picturing traditional stocks. Jeremiah spoke the truth. Pashur told lies. So why is it that people are so willing to believe lies and so resistant to the truth? Eugene Peterson asks and answers that question. In his book, he says, well, it's because people are looking for bargains. People are looking for shortcuts. People would like to have the blessing without the burden. And they're eager to find someone who will tell them it can be so. And yet, he writes, there is no painless path of discipleship. There is only one way. And if we are to be the complete and whole human beings that God has designed us to be, then we're going to have to submit ourselves to his truth. We're going to have to deny ourselves. And we're going to have to take up our crosses daily. Jeremiah loved the people of God. He loved them so much he was willing to make them uncomfortable if it would help them grow in their love for God. And that love that he had for those people cost him dearly. But at the end of the day, the approval of others and the large congregations and the full coffers mean nothing. All that matters is God. All that matters is God. That is how Jeremiah saw it. As a thanks for his faithful preaching, Jeremiah was humiliated, but he was not intimidated. He continued to speak sharply to Pashur, warning of the impending doom when the Babylonians would come and would take him and his friends captive. He didn't hold back. All right, that's the narrative. That's what happened. Jeremiah preached a particular message. He knew it would get him in trouble. Sure enough, it did get him in trouble. It resulted in his beating and his torture. But he continued to speak the truth. And now we get a little glimpse into Jeremiah's interior life. Right? That's the exterior. That's what happened. Anybody could have seen that and heard that if we were there. But now we get a glimpse into what's going on inside. And it's profound. So let's read that. We're picking it up in Jeremiah 20. And I'm starting in verse 7. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long and everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I'll not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he'll be deceived, and then we'll prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced, and their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart of the mind, the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. 
Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning and a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? This, too, is the word of the Lord. It doesn't appear to me when I read that. I mean, it's shocking. That's in the Bible. Cursing the day he was born. Cursing the man who brought the news of his birth. That's a prophet of the Lord saying those things. It doesn't appear to me that Jeremiah is holding anything back here, hey? Which tells me that he has the kind of relationship with the Lord where he speaks openly and honestly and completely and he doesn't bother covering up the stuff that's ugly or inappropriate and apparently he doesn't mind if you or I read it either. Now listen, God knows these things about us anyways, right? He knows those bits of you that you don't want other people to know about. So we might as well be open and honest with him. We might as well speak this way in our prayers. In fact, God gives us permission to bring our suffering and pain and questions and confusion directly to him. That's one of the greatest honors that he bestows on us, right? Think of just a quick whirlwind tour of the Bible and times when this happened. Job, right? Job is on the ash heap, crying out and complaining to God. Elijah, Elijah's under the broom tree, crying out and complaining to God. David is in a cave, fleeing for his life, crying out and complaining to God. Jonah in the belly of a great fish, crying out and complaining to God. Most poignantly, Jesus, on the cross, as he dies to pay for my sins and yours, crying out to God, saying, Why? Why have you forsaken me? And you and I can and should do this as well. We should do it reverently, reverently, always, But if we're going to be spiritually healthy, then we're going to need to learn how to lament and how to vent and how to weep and how to cry out to God in our pain and confusion. And it's okay to recognize, let's just be honest here, we're not always going to be coherent and consistent. Right? That's okay. God's got broad shoulders and he can take it. At one point in this lament, I mean, Jeremiah is all over the place here, right? I mean, this reads like a schizophrenic person trying to figure out who they are, right? Like, he, 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 he's all over the place. At one point, he resigns his post, right? He says, all right, I'm done. I quit. I'll stop, I'll stop even talking about God because all that has done is cause problems for me. And then at least if I just stop talking, then the pain and suffering will stop. And then immediately he retracts that resignation. He says, no, 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 wait a minute. If I do that, if I stop talking about God, well, I'm going to have an internal pain. I'm going to have a fire in my bones that's going to be even worse than the external persecution. I can't stop speaking about God. There's no way I can hold this in. I'm just going to have to speak it. You feel the conflict in his heart as he processes his situation to the Lord. Lord, this, no that, no this, no that. I'll praise you. No, I'll curse the person that delivered the news of my birth, right? He's all over the map in this prayer. That's okay. He's a human being. 
Being a human is hard and complicated. And God wants us to bring these things to him raw. Jeremiah is not entirely in the valley of despair, and he's not entirely in the green pastures and still waters of Psalm 23, right? He's, 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 he's kind of straddling both at the same time, which is so often how the spiritual life feels, right? Both, not one or the other, not totally good, not totally bad, but a mix, both, right? Doesn't your spiritual life feel like that so often? Right? In one verse, he's accusing God of deceiving him. God, you deceive me. God doesn't deceive people. But that's what Jeremiah says. And in another verse, not that much later, he's saying, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, which one is it? Well, he feels both because he's a human being. I don't know about you, but I have no problem seeing myself in this chapter. In fact, when I read this chapter, it feels like a mirror. Lord, I love you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, you're awesome. But seriously, what are you doing right now? Lord, I'll follow you. I love following you. You're the leader. I'm the follower. But, but seriously, where are you going right now? Because I, I, I didn't really want to go there. Our spiritual lives can be messy and conflicted. Mine can. Jeremiah's was at times. And he just lets it all out in this passage. It's amazing. It's both beautiful and ugly at the same time. Just like life in a broken world is both beautiful and ugly at the same time. You feel that? Here's the final lesson from Jeremiah 20. I mean, there's lots more, but this is the final one that I got. Suffering is real. Suffering for the truth of God is inevitable in a fallen world that's hostile to the truth of God. And we should expect it. We should not be shocked. We should not be thrown, we should not be surprised when standing up for God's truth results in opposition. He said that would happen, and sure enough, it does. But listen, and here's the thing, suffering doesn't get the last word. That's the promise, that's the hope. Suffering doesn't get the last word. Towards the, the end of Jeremiah's lament, right, when, to me, when it gets the worst, the ugliest, he's looking back on the day of his birth. Now listen, he piously stops short of cursing God. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't curse his parents. That was a big no-no in the Old Testament, right? You don't curse your parents. But he does curse the one who brought the news of his birth. Right? Jeremiah experiences the pain of physical persecution, right? Just physical pain. He experiences the emotional sadness of watching his people, whom he loves, reject God. Emotional, spiritual pain. And he experiences the shame of public humiliation. Remember, he's on public display, being physically tortured on public display, where everyone can walk by and mock him. And he looks back in the midst of that situation, and he says, I wish I could bypass all this pain. The worst day of my life, and if I could just not have been born in order to avoid this day, I would choose that option. And he ends the chapter with this sad and painful question. He says, why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow to the end of my days in shame? He just asks that question, and it's just hanging out there. He doesn't even get an answer. Why? Why why did I even bother being born? Look at my life. It's awful. You read that question, and you're like, all right, I bet God's got a good answer. (laughs) Let's hear it. 
But yeah, you keep reading and you read on to chapter 21 and God does not provide an answer to that question. It just hangs out there at the end of chapter 21. So where should we go for an answer from God to that question? Well, as I thought about that this week, I realized, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. God did answer that question already. There is a good answer to that question, and it's in the book of Jeremiah. It just comes earlier on. See, Jeremiah comes to God in chapter 20 and says, basically says, God, this is way too hard. Why was I even born? Here's God's answer. Remember what he said? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And even before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you, Jeremiah, a prophet to the nations. That's how the book opens. Right? That's, that, that's when excitement and expectation is high. Right? The commission. Before you were born, Jeremiah, I knew it. I formed you. I had a plan for you. And Jeremiah's like, yes! I love it. Let's go. And then he goes out and goes into ministry. And do you know what? It turns out it's hard and painful. And people don't like what he's saying. And it's not just that they don't like it. That they persecute him for it. And now he gets to the point where the, the joy and expectation and excitement is not up here anymore. It's here. In fact, it's way down here. And he's saying, you know what? If I could bypass my whole life, I would. That's how bad things are. And that's the moment when we have to remember that even though Jeremiah traces his trouble back to the day he was born. Jeremiah traces his trouble back to the womb. But God traces his promises back before the womb. God had a purpose for Jeremiah stretching back before the beginning of time. Jeremiah needed to, needed to be reminded that from all of eternity, Jeremiah had been set apart with a special calling. And perhaps, maybe, you and I need the same reminder today. Are you suffering physically, maybe, in ways you didn't ask for, in ways that you feel like you can hardly bear? Are you suffering emotionally, maybe, that you experience some kind of rejection or mocking for your beliefs or for the truth, for speak, saying things that are diametrically opposed to what we're being taught from a secular culture? Are there times when you think maybe it would have been better to bypass the pain and just never been born? Well, then maybe you need to be reminded this morning that God knew you before he formed you in the womb and that he set you apart for salvation and that he called you to ministry. I'm going to say that again. God knew you before he formed you in the womb. That's not just for Jeremiah. God knew you before he formed you in the womb. And he set you apart for salvation. And he called you to serve. Ephesians 1 says it like this, and this is speaking to the church. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And we are his workmanship. And we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which the Lord prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That means that you and I were called to salvation and we were called to serve before the beginning of time. 
just like Jeremiah was. Listen, suffering can place a huge question mark over our whole entire lives. But suffering did not get the last word in Jeremiah's life. Suffering did not get the last word in Jesus' life. And suffering will not get the last word in your life or in my life. Suffering is real, but grace gets the last word. And so we have courage. We have courage to be truth-tellers, regardless of the consequences. Because we know that God has formed us before the foundation of the world. And he has called us to be his people. And he has given us opportunities to serve and to bless. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the life of Jeremiah. I thank you for the example that he is to us. And in a weird way, I'm thankful that he wasn't perfect and that his, his, his flaws, his doubts, his fears uh, are on display in his life and in the book that records his life. But I'm even more thankful that despite his weaknesses and, and, and fears, that you sustained him. You carried him through that. You were his strength. And I thank you for the comfort that comes knowing you're the same God. You haven't changed one bit. And you have formed and called us to be a part of your people as well. And that you have given us good works, planned good works before the foundation of time that we might walk in them. And we recognize this morning, Lord, that you have specific things for us to say and do that you've called us to. And you have not made any promises or guarantees about consequences or fallout or repercussions from speaking the truth. You've simply told us to speak the truth and let the chips fall where they may. But you've also told us that you are with us and you are for us and you will carry us and sustain us. And so we rest in that. We're counting on that. And I pray you give us the courage to live that out, just like Jeremiah. In Christ's name, amen.